In this episode, I'm going to share part two from the fireside chat Q&A session I had last month. A few of the questions include, how do I adjust to a new controlling boss? How do I persuade my colleagues to take action on one of my initiatives? If I'm interviewing, what questions can I ask to make sure my manager is going to be one of the good ones? That's a great question. And what questions can I ask to make sure the company is healthy and it's not going to be a toxic environment? Great questions. Stay tuned. I'm Larry Cornette, and this is Invincible Career. So there was a good question that somebody sent in, which is we've all dealt with, how to adjust to a new controlling boss. Isn't that fun? So there are bosses who are way more controlling than other bosses. Um, Some of them, I think it's kind of their permanent state. They're just not a good boss. They're not a good manager. They're a micromanager. They're controlling. They're probably never going to change. And so there are some that are like that. For others, I think it's kind of a transitional state. So I think you'll see this happen in cases where it is a new boss, where they don't really know the company yet, they don't know the team yet, and they're worried about failing. Um, You'll see it happen when something goes wrong. So we've all seen it where the team dropped the ball or something went horribly wrong, and now they're getting pressure from above, and now they feel like I've got to jump in and get my fingers dirty. I've got to make sure that everything's perfect the next time we go to the executives with that presentation. That was bad. And so they, for a temporary period of time, become controlling because, again, they're fearful. They're worried. And so the first thing to do is to start with a little bit of research. So it's asking some questions of this boss. It's observing their behavior, how they behave in meetings, and especially how they're behaving with other people. So are they just being controlling with you? Or are they being controlling with everybody, right? And how are they being controlling? Is it controlling how you do the work? Is it controlling how often you check in? Is it they want a lot of reviews? What is it that they're doing, right? So when you start to understand what's really going on, you can get past that and think about, well, what's driving this? Why are they being controlling? What are they worried about? What is the fear? Is it one or or the other? Is it quality? The quality of the work, is it reliability? They're worried about people dropping the ball. Is it time pressure? They want to make sure stuff is getting done on time without knowing that the more they harass you, the less likely it's going to get done on time. You know, is it visibility into the process? So the whole black box model makes them nervous. <clears throat> you will see this with bosses who aren't familiar with your craft or your profession. So I've had this happen with, it wasn't fun, being a design leader and reporting to an engineering boss. <laughs> who didn't really understand design. And so because they didn't understand design and they didn't understand how long things things took, and they became very controlling. I want, I want lots of check-ins. I want to see everything. It's like, trust me, <laughs> this process works, right? Uh, is it legal stuff, right? Are they worried about the company being sued? Whatever. So try to figure out why, because then that helps you understand, well, what do I need to demonstrate so they can back off a little bit, right? Because in the best case, you're going to build trust. You're going to show them that you know how to do the work. You're going to validate that. You're going to show you can do quality work, that you can do stuff on time, that you can manage your own self. You don't have to worry about them checking in and telling you what to do. And then when you do that, I think it's kind of important to reinforce 
So this is a bit of a positive reinforcement thing. We, I talk about managing the manager and it is in some cases, it's a positive reinforcement thing. Like when they do things you really appreciate, let them know so they can do more of that. And so when it goes well, you know, you could say, I hope you notice the quality of my work is it's what you expected. And I hope you notice I've been delivering on time. Is there anything else you'd like to see? You know, are you feeling good about stuff? And so you're just trying to have kind of an adult conversation to say, is this more of what you want? Is everything okay? And just kind of reassuring them so their stress level can come down, their anxiety can come down, and they can back off with being controlling. The other thing, which is a good strategy, and I've done this with controlling bosses, is to somewhat over-communicate. So to say, I want to give you an update. Let's figure out the frequency. Is it every day or once a week, whatever, where I'm going to do the usual of, here's what I was working on and completed. Here's what I'm working on next. You're still in process. Here's stuff where I could use some help. There's an escalation. You know, I need you to help with this, whatever it might be. And so doing that in a very short and succinct message or an email every week, that helped a lot with some of these bosses. They kind of breathe a sigh of relief, like, okay, things are on track. I see there's progress. You're calling out issues so I can deal with them. That's fantastic. And then as a nice side effect, you can compile all this later to be something that's used for your own review, your personal review. We often lose track of stuff that we work on. And I do recommend for people, don't wait until the end of 52 weeks to try to write your annual review of like, what did I do this year? So if you do this, and you have them all, dump them in a folder, you could actually go in and harvest it and say, okay, here's everything I did. Here's the stuff that I was working on. Here were some of the achievements, some of the wins. You should be documenting stuff like that too. And then what you can then do, if it's still not getting to where you need it to be, is have a conversation about compromise. Saying, I think I've shown that I can deliver quality on time. I think I've shown that, that we're meeting the deadlines. Work's getting done. I think you're happy with it. It's like, maybe we could dial this back a little bit. Maybe I could check in once a week instead of every day, right? Or I think you've seen the way I do things is effective. So maybe I can do it my way instead of doing it, you know, how you were suggesting I do it. Because you, if it continues, you're going to want to figure out how to negotiate and get a compromise. Otherwise, it's unsustainable. You know, you're not going to tolerate it. You're going to burn out. And sometimes people leave companies because of that. Um, so another question I received, which is similar to the networking one, <clears throat> what are some ways I can approach former colleagues? So this one's kind of fun. Um, as part of my kind of group coaching, and so the folks on my career accelerator and the ones who get my premium newsletter are familiar with this. So I have themes every month throughout the year. And one of the themes during one of the months that's going to be later this year is about networking. And every week I have an exercise or a challenge or whatever you want to call it that helps work towards that theme. So th there will be a challenge every week about networking. One of the challenges, quote, exercises, whatever you want to call it, is refreshing and reactivating your network. So you can go into your network on LinkedIn. You can export it. So you can export all your connections. You can do the same thing with Twitter and other places like that and create kind of your own relationship management tool. Put it into a CSV, it exports the CSV, put it into a spreadsheet. And you could go through and say, of all these hundreds or even sometimes thousands of people, who do I really want to build a deeper relationship with, right? For one reason or another. It's not going to be everybody because you can't. You can't reconnect with thousands of people and keep those relationships fresh. Just like you can't have 150 close friends, 
you know, you've probably got five really close friends, maybe one really good buddy can't have 150 close friends. And this likewise with your network, you can't refresh and build tight relationships with hundreds of people. So go through and be clear and prioritize it. Like who do I want to keep fresh in my network? And that could be because of personal reasons. I really like this person. They're just a friend. You know, it's a good friend. It could be because this is somebody I'd love to work with again, whether we're colleagues or I hire them or they hire me, whatever. I liked working with them. This is somebody that I think is a fantastic leader. Wherever they go, I'd like to go. You know, if they ever leave that company, because I don't want to work for that company, but if they leave and go to another company, I'm going to ping them. I'm going to say, hey, are you building a new team at this company? I really enjoyed working with you. I'd love to do that again. And so once you have that, then you can say, well, how do I reach out to these people? This is refreshing that thing. So there are various lightweight ways you can do that. One is if you know people, you know their profession, you know what they care about, and this is from watching what they're doing online, you may come across an article or new research or something that you say, you know what, Susan, we really like that. That's kind of cool. I did this with somebody recently. It's like it came through so fresh they hadn't seen it yet. So I was able to forward it on and say, oh, did you see this? I thought you might find this interesting. You're like, no way. You're like, yeah, thanks for sending that. That's a really lightweight way to engage and give value to somebody. It's like, is there something I can share with you? Interesting news article, a book, whatever, a cool video that you came across, something that might be of use or interest to them or value to them. The other thing I tell people, which is kind of fun, and I've had people do this with me and I've done it with them, is to reach out about a shared memory. And so I just say, you know, and I had a friend do this with me recently. She goes, do you remember that client we worked with? It was such a pain in the butt. It's like, do you remember when we used to go into their office and they did X, Y, Z? I was just thinking about that the other day. Maybe think of you. And I just want to see how you're doing. I haven't talked to you in a couple of years. And like, what are you up to? And so she did it. I do it with people too, where I reach out and say, hey, do you remember that time when we were doing X, Y, Z at the company and whoever it was came in and took over the org? And it's like, what a nightmare that was. It, it made me thank you. I was just wondering what you're up to. How are you doing? So that could be a really, it's nice to have somebody say, I was thinking about you. And, it, and it's genuine, right? You're not just making it up. You're like, I really was thinking about you. And I just wanted to see how you're doing. That's it. You know, it's not the cheesy Facebook push a button, happy birthday. It's like, that's, I hate that so much. Like reach out with a real memory that you guys shared and say that. Uh, and I'll give another one that I think is amazing. It's It's practicing some gratitude. So I know it's kind of touchy-feely, but gratitude works. And reflecting on why you're grateful for things really does help your emotional well-being and, and mental well-being. Really helps other people, too. So reaching out to people that did something kind for you, that helped you, that made a difference in your life, whether that is a friend or a professor or an old boss or a colleague, and saying, you know, I don't think I ever thanked you for that. Because we often don't. We're kind of busy. And in the moment, it feels kind of weird. And sometimes it feels awkward to thank somebody in the moment, especially when there's a power dynamic, right? So I did this. And I, because later, as I became, you know, more confident and older, and it's like, whatever, you know, I reached out to professors because at the time I was a student, I'm like, hey, professor. I didn't want to see like I was kissing up either because it was kind of like I was still in school. Same thing with bosses. It felt kind of weird. It's like, I don't want you to think that I'm kissing up and trying to get you to promote me or give me a raise. So it's, it was years later. And I reached out to a professor and I said, I don't think I ever told you how much 
your work meant to me, what you taught. You were one of the best professors I ever had. And I remember this thing you said. And he did. He's the one who initially taught me the whole concept of learn how to learn, learn how to teach yourself. He said, I can't teach you everything you're going to have to know in life or even about psychology. He said, so if you don't learn how to learn, your career is not going to go very far. So what I'm going to teach you is how to do that. And he spent a lot of time showing us how to teach ourselves and how to learn. And that stuck with me for life. And so I told him, I actually told him, and I actually was on campus 25 years later, and I wrote a note and slipped it under his door. He was still there. And I said, hey, you made a difference in my life. Wow. I mean, can you imagine receiving something like that? It's just like, cool, man. It's unbelievable. Uh, And I did with a boss, with an old boss at IBM, where I just said, you know, you were my first real boss. And uh, it was 20, 20 years later. And I said, I just want to let you know I appreciated how kind you were and how much you mentored me and coached me. And I said, it made a huge difference. That's why I stayed in tech for 20 years, because I was I was impressed with what the work you did and how you managed people. And I took a lot of that with me. And that's how I managed my team, too. You know, his open door policy, his policy of nothing's wrong. We'll solve it together. I'm not going to yell at you or get upset. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is a that is a very big challenge. Um, that's a tough one. This is one of those things. This is a good question. I don't know if you guys see it in the chat, but the the social psychological component of unfairness that it's valid when a new boss makes half of what you're making. So your boss makes less money than you do. Um, this is something that you, if you're coached well and you are kind of given good leadership coaching and training to the company, they teach you this. And they say, there's going to come a day, maybe even right away, <laughs> where there are some people on your team that are going to be making more money than you do. And you can see their salary. So, you know, because you're their manager, right? And there are a lot of reasons for that, right? So there's going to be, you know, their tenure in the company, their tenure in the field and their profession, the work that they're doing, the value they deliver. And so it's really, in some ways, the onus is on the manager and the boss to understand that compensation isn't the only ruler by which we're measured. And your role, and this is interesting for leaders to accept too, because many of them don't get this right. (laughs) It's like, just because you're someone's leader doesn't mean you're superior to them. And this is where it's interesting. You both play a very different role. You are, in some ways, it's a partnership. And there is a difference in the power dynamic, of course. But there is a partnership where you're blocking and tackling and dealing with issues that you don't want your employees to have to even deal with or mess with. And I would do that for my team. And I'd say that. It's like, I'm going to go deal with the resources, the budget, whatever they needed. And I said, I want you to focus on what you're doing. Just keep working on the product. I'm going to go find out why in the hell we don't have our hardware that we requested. Don't waste a minute doing that. That's my job. I want you to focus on that. And so there is this dynamic that's different between what you do as a leader to help your team. And some people call that servant leadership in some cases and what they're doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that compensation is mapped to that. So just because you're the leader doesn't mean you make more money than people on your team. It often happens, especially with more junior people, but it isn't necessarily the case with every single person that's going to be on your team. I had some very senior people that made more money than I did, and that's fine. That's the way it is, and a grown-up leader will understand that. Um, Let's see. So this is an interesting one. I know we only have a few more minutes. 
this was somebody asking, this was somebody that wasn't in the U.S. because it's a it's a tricky problem. How do I persuade my colleagues to take action on one of my initiatives? So we often get into this case where we need to persuade others that we don't have authority over. And, and you'll discover this a lot in your career, especially when you work on teams. You'll discover this as you become a leader where you're partnering with other leaders, but you're not their boss. But you want to persuade them of something whether it's a project or it's some kind of initiative or you know shuffling headcount or resources, whatever it might be. And the thing you have to remember is that people are rarely altruistic in the workplace. There is going to be the occasional person that's going to say, I'm going to do what's right for the team and what's right for the company. And even if I fail, it's going to be okay because I do what's right for the team. Most people won't do that. Most people especially won't help you succeed with an initiative if it means it's risking their success and that's often the case so if you're asking somebody to take on more work or to change their priorities or whatever it might be but they're not getting anything taken off their plate they're like okay now i'm taking on more work i'm more likely to fail and i'm being judged on what i already committed to so if i help you i'm going to fail and my boss is either going to fire me or not give me a good review something negative is going to happen to me and so that often happens. And there's only you know, a couple of ways, I think, to address this. One, which I had talked about with this person, is kind of the carrot and the stick. So in some companies, it is a stick, which works apparently really well in the U.S., but not in this country that we were talking about. Um, I had a case like this at a company where we were told to do something and to inform other organizations that this is what they would have to do. But we didn't have any authority over those organizations. You know, They're completely lateral to us. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're busy. We got our own roadmap. We have our own stuff to do. And so we had to report back to the CEO who had tasked us with this and said, hey, we're not getting anywhere with this. People are busy. They got a committed roadmap. They're not going to agree to more work if they don't have to. And she said, oh, really? (laughs) Do they understand that you are acting as my right hand in this case? This is my mandate. And when they say no to you, they're saying no to me. I don't think they understand that. I'm going to make a couple of phone calls. (laughs) And so she made a few phone calls. And that's a stick. But the CEO can do that. So in some cases, that is what it takes. In some cultures, in some companies, that could work, right? More effective way that tends to work across the board in almost every culture is the carrot approach, which is how can I make sure that whatever we're going to agree to is going to be beneficial for you too? I should not be structuring this request or this initiative in a way that it's all me and you get nothing. Or if anything, in some cases, you're punished. You're giving up resources or budget or whatever. And so you have to work on this. I'm going to talk a lot about this actually in my newsletter this week. Um, So if you subscribe to my Invincible Career newsletter, if you go to newsletter.invinciblecareer.com, I'm going to publish something about this this week, which I think is important, which is how to get true collaboration when you're working with people and to create things that are win-win structures. And it it requires a mindset shift and it requires you to think very differently about how you get things done. And it takes more work. It is when you're a younger leader and you're kind of new to this and you're in a hurry and you're full of stress and anxiety and time pressure, you just try to push stuff through. And I, I encountered this a lot in my career. I did some of it myself, regretfully. Where it's just like, you just need to do it because I'm saying so. And it's it's kind of a lazy way to do it because you're feeling time crunch. 
it takes more work and more effort to say, how can I change what I'm doing so that this is beneficial for you too? And I call that sitting on the same side of the table. And so, and I think it was Jason Calacanis who I initially heard this from. <clears throat> I got to look up the reference. But he said, we mostly get into confrontational discussions with people where we're across the table. And that happened in the workplace when we physically were in the workplace. And you'd see it, especially if it was a contentious meeting. You would go into the meeting and you would sit on the other side of the table to face the person, to debate and to argue and try to persuade. In some cases, people tried to bully. Uh, I never saw in the workplace people who were having kind of a contentious meeting come and sit next to each other. It's incredibly powerful. And so you can do it kind of metaphorically and, and virtually too, but it's getting on the same side of the table to say, it's not me versus you. It's us versus this problem. I want us to work together to collaborate and figure out how can we make this work and be successful for you? Because I know you have things that you have to achieve. And for me, I have to achieve what I need to achieve. And can we do this together and without having a mediator or a big boss come in and do it? But can we think of this as a problem that we're collaborating together to solve, to get to a resolution that will make us both happy versus I need to crush you and win or you need to crush me and win? It's a very different mentality and a very different way to approach it. Uh, last few minutes. So, so I want to touch on these because it's important. This is a couple different questions. Uh, they're related. So I'll just kind of group those together. A lot of people are interviewing for jobs. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to get into a good company, right? You're not interviewing for a job hoping to work for a terrible company. You're not interviewing hoping, I hope I get into a toxic workplace. That'd be fantastic. So you're hoping it's a healthy company. It's a good company culture. It's a great boss. It's going to be good for you. And you're trying to figure out from the outside, is this a good situation? Is this a good manager? Is this a good company? So someone had asked me, it's like, well, what are the questions I can ask? in a job interview to make sure that the manager is a good one. This is a good manager. What can I ask the interview team and, and people who would be my future coworkers? Is this a good company? Is this a healthy company culture? And I'm going to start out by saying that's really hard. Not only, be, not just because you can't ask the perfect question, maybe you could, but it's a very weird situation where they're trying to put their best foot forward. They're trying to convince you if they would like you, they're trying to persuade you to come join the company. No manager who's a bad manager is going to say, you got me. I, I'm a bad manager. I'm toxic. I'm terrible. I'm a micromanager. The culture here is horrific. You don't want to come work here. No one does that. They're trying to make a good impression. They're trying to win you over. They're trying to put on kind of their best appearance. So there are questions you can ask to kind of get around it. Um, you can say things like, how are decisions made here? So ask them in a very open-ended way and ask to give for example say can you give me an example of that so instead of saying are you toxic they're like i'm not toxic are you a good manager i'm a great manager you know you're going to say how do you make decisions and you're going to listen and you're going to say is this a kind of company where i like how those decisions are made because sometimes people will be honest about it they're like well this is how it's made and it's you know very much a top down because authority is a lot here you know it's not going to be data driven other will say oh it's data driven you know, how do they handle pressure and escalations that come from above? So when you get a request from your upper management, how does that get to the team? How do you manage that process? How do you manage escalations from below? 
can your team escalate things to you and how do you handle that? Um, how do you resolve conflict on the team? Can you give me an example? You know, can you give me an example of a time when you and one of your employees had a difference of opinion about how to do something or the solution for something and you actually changed your mind? That you said, you know, the employee's right in this case and you changed your mind. Can you give me an example? Because they might say, oh yeah, I've done that. And this is the whole behavioral question stuff. It's like, well, can you give me an example? Tell me about a time that that happened. And if they can't, then they're not being honest, right? So they're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly when that happened, you know, and hopefully it's fresh in their memory because it's an important thing that happens, right? Um, the thing that I'm going to say, and this applies to both, because the other was like, how do I make sure it's a good company, right? It's not a toxic work culture. You're going to pick up on some vibes. You're going to get some red flags. You're going to ask questions. You're going to hear answers like, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. May not necessarily be bad. It's just not you. This isn't how I like to work. This isn't a culture that's good for me. They're like, we're really competitive. We fight with each other and we love it. And that's Microsoft, right? Uh, you're like, I don't like that. That's not, it's not good for me. So maybe I'm not a fit. The most important thing you can do is to find people that used to report to that boss. Because the people that currently report to that boss are going to be a little nervous, even in the best case, about saying things that might get back to the boss or saying something negative about the manager. They're certainly not going to do that. People that used to work for them are much more likely to be honest with you. People that used to work at that company are much more likely to tell you the truth about the work culture and what it's really like. Who gets promoted? Who gets rewarded? How are decisions made? You know, how does the team treat each other? You can find this information so much easier than the old days. Oh my gosh, you guys have LinkedIn. It's like amazing. You can go and look. Where was this manager before this? What is their history? Who was at that company at the same time? You can start to connect the dots. You can talk with your network again. And I've done that where it's like, does anybody know this person? Oh, yeah, I used to work with them. Can we have a call? Because <laughs> they're not going to tell you if they're smart with a paper trail through email and stuff like, oh, they're horrible. Worst manager ever. They'll have a phone call, Zoom. But you will get more of the truth from people that used to work there or used to work for that person. And so it takes a little bit of digging, go on LinkedIn, find people that used to be there, find people that used to be work for that company. I would do that. And I say, hey, I noticed you were at this company at the same time this other person. I'm interviewing with her. Could you tell me a little bit more about her management style? You know, what does she appreciate? How do you communicate with her? What was it like working for her? You don't come out and say, are they terrible? You know, you're basically trying to find out what was it like to work for this person? And you're going to either hear, they're amazing. And I've done that. It's like, this is the best boss I ever worked for. You're lucky to go work for that person. They really took care of me. They take care of the team. Fantastic. I'd love to work for them again, which would be fantastic. You might hear, don't make that mistake. You know, it's like, I know they look good on paper. Not a good person to work for, you know, and they'll be honest and say, I don't want you to get into that. You know, most people are nice and they want you to, they want to look out for each other. You might get the middle, which is kind of damning with faint praise, which is like, yeah, they're okay. Uh, yeah, it was all right. We got along okay. That's not good either. So there are people who are afraid. They don't want to say something bad about anybody. And they're still afraid because they don't really know you to say something negative. So if they're not like effusive and they're not like, this person's great. They're kind of like, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, they're all right. They, you know, good leader. Sure then you kind of got your answer. And so you'll know. So that, that I think is the best way to get the straight 
information about, is this a good person to work for? Is this a good company to join? So I know we're out of time. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a lot of talking. Sorry, guys. I, uh, I, was, I answered a lot of questions for you. I hope that was helpful. Um, I'm going to be trying to do these every month, like I said. Um, if you found this useful, I engage with people quite a bit, as the folks here will tell you on social media, in my newsletter. If you ask questions in the comments, I will, I will answer you. So if you want to follow up and get more of this advice, go to newsletter.invinciblecareer.com. From there, you can find everything. You can find out about the community that some of you are in. You can find out about coaching. You can find out about my newsletter. Uh, and I'll do my best to answer your questions and I'll continue to do this. But thank you, thank you all for uh, joining. Really appreciate it. And wherever you are, enjoy the rest of your evening. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life. <laughs>